This audio lecture is based entirely upon the case books Liberty, Equality, and Due Process, Cases, Controversies, and Contexts in Constitutional Law, and First Amendment, Cases, Controversies, and Contexts by Ruth Ann Robson. The casebooks are published by Cali E. Langdell Press and licensed Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0. That means that the author has allowed everyone to copy and redistribute the material in any medium or format and remix, transform, and build upon the material as long as users give appropriate credit. Don't use the material for commercial purposes and redistribute contributions under the same license. Much thanks is due to Ruthann for writing these books and providing them to everyone for free. In furtherance of this spirit and in compliance with the original license, I also license this audio lecture as Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Section 7 of the United States Constitution Lectures. In this section, we'll discuss state constitutions. Every state in the United States has its own state constitution that, like the United States Constitution, structures its government and contains provisions relating to individual rights. Generally speaking, state constitutions can provide greater individual rights than the federal constitution. The metaphor often used is that while the federal constitution provides the floor, state constitutions can provide the ceiling. When considering the ability of state constitutions to grant greater rights, and employing the floor and ceiling metaphor, there are three important caveats grounded in the Supremacy Clause, Article 6. First, the ceiling of the state constitutional right cannot infringe on a right guaranteed by the federal constitution. For example, if a state constitutional provision was interpreted to protect sexual minorities under a strict scrutiny standard. A person could challenge that protection based on a denial of their own equal protection rights or under a different constitutional right, such as the First Amendment's protection of free exercise of religion. Further, recall that a state constitutional provision itself can violate the United States Constitution. Second, the ceiling of the state constitutional right applies only to infringements by the state and its subdivisions. In other words, a federal statute cannot infringe a state constitutional right. Third, the state courts are ultimate arbiters of their state constitutional rights but a decision granting greater rights as a matter of state constitutional law must make it clear that the state constitutional provision 
is an independent ground of the decision. There can be confusion if a state court cites both state constitutional cases and United States Supreme Court cases on a specified doctrine. If the state court makes it clear and unambiguous that it is resting its decision on the state grounds and only using the Supreme Court cases as persuasive or illustrative, then the United States Supreme Court cannot review the state court's decision. Each state constitution is different. The text of constitutional provisions relating to rights can be compared to the United States Constitution's provisions in three ways. First, the text can be exactly the same. For example, many states have an equal protection clause and a due process clause, for example. Even if the language is exactly the same, the state courts can interpret the meaning of the state clause to be more expansive than the federal, assuming the state courts make it clear that they are relying on their state constitution. Second, the text can be somewhat similar or analogous. For example, some states have enumerated the classifications protected in the Equal Protection Clause. Third, the text can be unique For example, some states include a protection for privacy in their constitution or provide for public education to be widely available. Again, no matter whether the state constitutional provision is the same, similar, or unique, the state courts can interpret the provision to grant greater rights than would be available under the United States Constitution, subject to the Supremacy Clause caveats. Additionally, although the United States Constitution, with the exception of the 13th Amendment, requires a threshold of state action, a state constitution can reach private action. For example, a 1970 amendment to the Illinois Constitution provides, quote, All persons shall have the right to be free from discrimination on the basis of race, color, creed, national ancestry, and sex in the hiring and promotion practices of any employer or in the sale or rental of property. These rights are enforceable without action by the General Assembly but the General Assembly, by law, may establish reasonable exemptions relating to these rights and provide additional remedies for their violation. End quote. The following provide two examples. Disability. In Daly v. Del Ponte in 1993, the Connecticut Supreme Court considered a challenge under the Connecticut Constitution, Article 21, adopted by voter referendum in 1984, which added physical or mental disability to its Equal Protection Clause. Quote, 
No person shall be denied the equal protection of the law, nor be subjected to segregation or discrimination in the exercise or enjoyment of his or her civil or political rights because of religion, race, color, ancestry, national origin, sex, or physical or mental disability. Edward Daly, who suffered from seizures, challenged a commission of motor vehicles suspension of his driver's license and specific conditions regarding submitting medical reports every three months. The court applied strict scrutiny, holding that while traffic safety was a compelling governmental interest, the means chosen was not sufficiently narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. The lack of narrow tailoring was based on a lack of considering Daly's specific medical condition. In Abreen v. Carlsbad Municipal Schools in 2005, the New Mexico Supreme Court considered a differential in its state workers' compensation scheme, which granted compensation for life for total permanent physical disabilities and up to 700 weeks of compensation for permanent partial physical disabilities. Yet capped compensation for all primary mental disabilities at 100 weeks. The court considered a challenge pursuant to the New Mexico Constitution, which provides, quote, nor shall any person be denied equal protection of the laws, end quote. Thus, it is identical to the 14th Amendment. Nevertheless, the court decided that persons with mental disability should be afforded intermediate scrutiny, stating, quote, Based on our development of New Mexico's Equal Protection Clause, it is appropriate to apply intermediate scrutiny to classifications based on mental disability because such persons are a sensitive class. The historical discriminatory treatment of persons with mental disabilities shows that the courts should be sensitive to possible discrimination against persons with mental disabilities contained in legislation that purports to treat them differently based solely on the fact that they have a mental disability. Finally, we are not basing our decision to consider persons with mental disabilities a sensitive class for purpose of equal protection on any notion that such persons cannot advocate for themselves in the political process. To the contrary, persons with mental disabilities and their political allies are active participants in the political process. However, their effective advocacy is seriously hindered by the need to overcome the already deep-rooted prejudice against their integration in society. The gains in societal acceptance and political advocacy made by the disability rights movement today could easily be reversed through discriminatory laws in the future. End quote. The court found that the disparity between the compensation granted to workers who suffer physical injuries and those who suffer mental injuries was not substantially related to the important government interest 
such as preventing fraud and curtailing costs. Minors and abortion. The dynamics between state legislatures, state courts, and state voters can be intense on controversial matters such as minors and abortions. In 1988, the Florida legislature passed a parental consent statute that provided that prior to undergoing an abortion, a minor must obtain parental consent or alternatively must convince a court that she is sufficiently mature to make the decision herself or that if she is immature, the abortion nonetheless is in her best interests. This statute comported with the 14th Amendment doctrine. However, in In Ray T.W. in 1989, the Florida Supreme Court declared this statute unconstitutional under the Florida Constitution's right of privacy. In 1980, pursuant to a voter referendum, Article 1, Section 23 was added to the Constitution to provide, quote, right of privacy. Every natural person has the right to be let alone and free from governmental intrusion into his private life, except as otherwise provided herein. This section shall not be construed to limit the public's right of access to public records and meetings as provided by law, end quote. The court quoted a previous decision stating, quote, The citizens of Florida opted for more protection from governmental intrusion when they approved Article 1, Section 23 of the Florida Constitution. This amendment is an independent, freestanding constitutional provision which declares the fundamental right to privacy. Article 1, Section 23 was intentionally phrased in strong terms. The drafters of the amendment rejected the use of the words unreasonable or unwarranted before the phrase governmental intrusion in order to make the privacy right as strong as possible. Since the people of this state exercised their prerogative and enacted an amendment to the Florida Constitution which expressly and succinctly provides for a strong right of privacy not found in the United States Constitution, it could only be concluded that the right is much broader in scope than that of the federal Constitution. End quote. In construing the provision, the court stressed that every natural person included minors. The court applied strict scrutiny under the state Constitution, essentially determining that a minor did not have lesser constitutional rights than an adult. It invalidated the statute. The next year, the legislature passed the Parental Notice of Abortion Act, which again provided that prior to undergoing an abortion, a minor must notify a parent of her decision or, alternatively, must convince a court that she is sufficiently mature to make the decision herself or that, if she is immature, the abortion nevertheless is in her best interests. Thanks, everybody. That's all I'd like to talk about in this section. Take care.